0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Rachel Nava, and I am the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at the University of California. And I am so thrilled to have the opportunity to open up our very first Carbon Slam Uh, which is going to be an exciting, uh, fun-filled day full of uh, information that our students are putting forward, um, great research that our uh, faculty have been working on, and all with the focus of how do we, as a uh, university, as a community, as a state, and as a nation, focus on climate change and what can we do to help change that. This event is part of UC's Carbon Neutrality Initiative, which is uh, a bold initiative that UC President uh, Janet Napolitano put together in November of 2013. And and in fact, it was the very first thing she did when she started at the university. She saw a need for us to uh, make some bold moves and show that the university can uh, not only solve California's problems, but global problems as well. So our goal at the University of California is to be carbon neutral by 2025 for all of our buildings and our fleet vehicles, which is a uh, bold and audacious goal, given that we have 10 campuses, five medical centers, and three national labs. In support of this goal, President Napolitano put together a Global Climate Leadership Council, which is a group of esteemed faculty members, uh, UC administrators, and um, uh, external colleagues and advisors to help inform her about what are the right pathways that the university should be embarking on to help achieve this this goal, and really not only focus on um, becoming carbon neutral, but how do we leverage our research, education, and public service mission to support that. So uh, the Global Climate Leadership Council is the group that's sponsoring today's Carbon Slam. And I want to just give you a little window into some of the work that we're doing, just to set the context for today's um, uh, session. the GCLC recently sponsored what we call the Carbon Neutrality Summit. This was a really interesting event that we held in October at the Scripps Institute at UC San Diego. And it was an opportunity for us to bring together international leaders like Aki Steimer from the UN, uh, our governor, uh, Jerry Brown, and many esteemed speakers, including a Nobel laureate, Mario Molina, to talk about UC's research and what we can do to... Um, further address uh, climate change. And it was really the unveiling of a very important uh, publication for the university called Bending the Curve, 10 Scalable Solutions to Combat Climate Change. And this is a culmination of over 50 UC faculty. They came together to put together this uh, document, which not only puts forward the university's research, but focuses on solutions, which is unusual. Universities and academic research institutions generally put science out, but we don't always talk about solutions. And this was an opportunity for us to talk about not only things like how do you resolve uh, short-lived climate pollutants, but also how do you address the social side of climate change, and how do we... uh, Work with religious leaders and others to create a moral imperative to get people to really engage in the need that we need to take swift action and change our behaviors. Um, beyond our um, research expertise, the entire UC community has been actively engaged in uh, helping achieve these goals. We've done things like uh, a Cool Campus Challenge, which is where we had over 19,000 students and faculty. Um, get involved in an online tool that, where they got a chance to put forward pledges to change their behaviors and learn about their own personal carbon footprints. We have our, um, our faculty leaders who've been involved in what we're calling charrettes. We've been doing campus-by-campus campus meetings to get our faculty and our top researchers involved in our climate action planning. And then we've been working with um, many global leaders as well. So the university is part of the Breakthrough Energy Coalition, which you'll hear later on uh, this afternoon from Tom Steyer, who's a founding member in the Breakthrough Energy Coalition. And uh, this was launched at the Paris Climate Summit. This is the uh, group of people, including Bill Gates, that are working on uh, bringing forward uh, funding to help leverage new clean energy technology and to accelerate the investment of that to address climate change. Uh, we have ambitious goals, and what are we doing about them uh, operationally? Well, we're doing a lot. We've been partnered with uh, many of our statewide utilities to address um, energy efficiency projects on our campuses. And, on average, we're saving uh, about $28 million per year in energy efficiency projects like lighting initiatives, um, ch- switching out our labs so that they're smart labs, We're doing all of that energy efficiency work with technologies and know-how that's generated on UC's campuses with our own expertise in places like UC Davis' Lighting and Technology Center, the Western Cooling and Efficiency Center, UC Santa Barbara's Institute for Energy Efficiency, UC Berkeley's California Institute for Energy and Environment, and then the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab's Energy Technology Divisions. So as you can see, we have a significant amount of breadth and expertise in this area. Uh, We're also doing a lot around solar We have a goal that uh, by 2015 we were going to be producing 10 megawatts of solar. Uh, We exceeded that goal threefold. We're now generating 36 megawatts just on our campuses alone. We have another 28 megawatts of projects in the hopper. And the university uh, broke ground last year on an 80 megawatt solar farm in Fresno County. This is the largest solar purchase of any university in the nation. And we'll fund about 20% of our um, uh, electricity needs for all of our campuses. So we're very excited about that. We're also working in the area of biogas and biofuels to look at other ways to uh, bring renewable energy to our campuses. Um, With that, hopefully this just gave you a very, very brief snapshot of some of the things that the university is working on in terms of our carbon neutrality initiative. You'll hear a lot more today as our... Our faculty and students highlight to you for you all the amazing research uh, that's going on at the university. So with that, it's now my great pleasure to introduce our host for today and our very first keynote speaker, and that's Scott Elrod from PARC. Scott is the Vice President and Director of the Hardware Systems Laboratory Research Organization at PARC, a Xerox company. He also directs the Clean Tech Innovation Program at PARC, which develops uh, solutions for energy efficiency, clean water, renewable fuels, and more. One of the first results of this program is a novel low-cost solar concentrator technology developed by Startup Venture Funds SolFocus, Focus Inc. that will significantly cut consumers' solar electricity costs. So, Scott, I'd like to welcome you to the podium and thank you very much for hosting us today. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Uh, thank you, Rachel, for that very kind introduction. Um, we're really pleased to have this event taking place here at PARC. Um, and it looks like, uh, from your, the agenda, it looks like it's going to be a really exciting day. I'm just going to talk for about ten minutes to give you a, pers- a sense of what we're doing here at Park related to energy. Um, the history of Park is probably something many of you are familiar with. Essentially, this is the place where the foundations of distributed computing were invented, the Ethernet, graphical user interface, the laser printer. Um, so that was in the 70s and 80s. Uh, PARC also led in the uh, development of ubiquitous computing. So long before the Palm Pilot came out, we were pro- running around here in the offices with prototype handheld computers, looking a lot like a smartphone, um, and since, um, since that time, we've been continuing to innovate, providing uh, technology solutions to our parent company, Xerox, but also to many other companies. And you can get a sense of the sort of the impact, um, the things that PARC has touched over the years. In 2002, we actually became a separate company. We're still a subsidiary of Xerox, but now about half of our work is for others. Um, And with that, we substantially broaden the portfolio of uh, projects that we work on. Um, Energy was a really interesting domain for us to move into and we really uh, did that very aggressively and significantly, such that now there's a very uh, significant portfolio of projects that cut across uh, generation, energy efficiency, transportation, and also storage. Um, We've um, also had a great relationship with ARPA-E, the the advanced research part of the Department of Energy, such that PARC is now the um, commercial organization in the U.S. with the highest number of ARPA-E awards. I want to talk about a few of those. Actually, what I'm going to do is allow the the principal investigators for three different projects to speak about their projects. We've got some short videos, um, and the intent here is to sort of cover sensing, new types of sensing, um, new capabilities in infrastructure, and uh, optimization and, and data analytics. And the reason uh, I've chosen those is that they really are uh, examples of the, the foundation for the Internet of Things. Sensing and manipulating the world, uh, the networking of all things, including computational resources, but as, as well as that, uh, sensors and actuators, and finally, how do you make sense of all of that uh, big data that's that's really oriented toward um, human perception and how you can derive meaning from the um, from the data? So, Park has very significant investments in those three areas, and we're leveraging that in our energy work. So, uh, the first of these is a um, an interesting um, sensor. Uh, this is an RPE project. Um, the goal is to detect methane emissions to limit. Um, you know, that is a very potent greenhouse gas, and to try to limit that by making um, sensors that can go at every gas or a uh, gas or oil
0: wellhead, I'm David Schwartz, the principal investigator on Park's RPE Monitor Project. Park's research staff are motivated by the climate challenges we face today. Fugitive methane leaks are a major environmental and safety problem requiring innovative technology to successfully overcome this challenge. We are able to leverage our capabilities in printed electronics, electrochemistry, signal processing, computational fluid dynamics, and machine learning, combined with Xerox's print manufacturing, to develop a disruptive solution to this problem. With a combination of printed carbon nanotube sensor elements, we aim to detect not only methane but other components of natural gas and distinguish them from interference that may be present at the well site. Carbon nanotubes have excellent properties as printed electrochemical sensors. They operate at room temperature, are extremely sensitive, are easily chemically modified, and can be dispersed in a solvent for solution processing. When a gas molecule is adsorbed onto the surface of a nanotube, a small amount of charge is transferred, changing its electronic state and therefore its conductivity. By modifying the carbon nanotube surface, for example with coatings, chemical functionalizations, or the addition of metal nanoparticles, we can change its sensitivity to different gases. By applying sophisticated data analysis techniques to an array of such sensors, we can measure a multitude of gas species. In addition to detecting leaks, the monitor program aspires to locate them to within one meter and to quantify their rate. This requires an understanding of gas plume dispersion under real-world weather conditions, and a means of estimating leak properties in a computationally tractable way. Our capabilities in computational fluid dynamics and model-based machine learning enable us to address this challenge. Distributed gas sensing is important for reducing methane emissions, as well as improving industrial and residential safety, monitoring indoor air quality, and optimizing building operations for energy savings. So the
2: next example is... um It's a sensor that we developed actually for measuring the internal state of lithium-ion batteries. So it's a fiber sensor that can go right into the harsh environment of a lithium-ion cell, but it has much broader applications in structural health monitoring um, and and the like. And so I'm I'm highlighting that as an example of a smart infrastructure enabler.
3: I'm Ajay Raghavan, the principal investigator on the sensor project under the AMP program. Our project drew its inspiration from PARC's multidisciplinary research portfolio in prognostics, Batteries and optoelectronics. A critical area, in particular, for our ideation was Park's low-cost, compact optical sensing prototype that monitors wavelength shifts of light with as much as 50 femtometers of resolution using customized optical filters. We recognized its significant potential for dramatically reducing the cost and size of fiber optic sensing, and were exploring applications when we came across RP's Amped Call. being able to directly sense cell state internally would enable management systems to safely extract more power and capacity than possible today with electrical sensors. Still, several challenges had to be overcome. For example, we worked with LG Chem to embed the fibers into commercial XCV cells for monitoring over their life without compromising performance, something never done before. Our readout had to be scaled up for hundreds of channels while staying within the challenging cost constraints for XCV battery systems. To put that into perspective, The bulky lab instruments for it today cost over $15,000, which is about the cost of a full XCV battery itself. Three years into the project, we're really pleased with the results. We've achieved 0.05 microstrain of resolution, 5 millikelvins of temperature sensitivity, and 2.5% of better cell state estimates, enough to see the intercalation stage transitions during charge and discharge cycles. We've had system cost points of about $200 when mass-produced, We're now working on further validation for commercialization and scale-up with General Motors. Our hope is that this technology drives more rapid EV adoption by lowering battery pack costs by as much as 20% and increasing safety. In the long run, we anticipate Sensor to enable a range of applications in need of real-time intelligence, as well as be a key driver for Xerox's smart cities vision. And finally,
2: with all that mass, massive uh, additional data out there in the world, um, what are you going to do with it? And so a big focus we have is on how to integrate
4: data and make it uh, really um, you know, appropriate for a user to, to engage. Hi, my name is Christian Fritz. I'm the principal investigator of Park's ARPA-E TransNet project. Our goal is to offer urban travelers proactive, personalized suggestions on how to travel in a way that increases the energy efficiency of the entire system without negatively impacting their own perceived quality of service. The target for the first phase of the project is to show that it is possible to reduce energy used for personal travel across the city of Los Angeles by 12%, with active participation by just 10% of all travelers. To accomplish this ambitious goal, we have assembled a multidisciplinary team of experts in artificial intelligence, cognitive psychology and traffic simulation. Together, we will extend the Xerox mobility marketplace to not only provide convenience to users, but also help cities reduce energy consumption. By creating a high-fidelity model of traveler needs and their preferences and cognitive processes as they make decisions regarding transportation, we believe we will be able to devise a trip planner that proactively suggests new itineraries that are both convenient and energy efficient. These savings will come from matching people into ride pools, Shifting to multimodal itineraries, optimizing route and departure times, and providing real time feedback for eco driving. This high fidelity user model will be combined with a highly scalable multimodal trip planner to build a novel decision theoretic trip planner that explicitly optimizes for the expected energy savings. The statistical expectations will be based on the probability of users adopting a suggested itinerary in a specific context as predicted by the user model. To measure the impact of these influencing strategies, we will work with the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute to build a full-fledged micro-simulation of multimodal travel in Los Angeles, including simulations of human behavior and decision-making. If successful, we will integrate the technology into the Xerox Mobility Marketplace to enable Xerox's city customers around the world to reduce energy consumption and congestion. So I hope that gave you a sense of the breadth of things that we're doing in energy and in general
2: here at PARC. Um, so it's really important to say that this work is not done just by Park at all. Um, we're highly connected to many different partners, and that's really a critical element of uh, success in any of these projects. So national labs, startups, larger companies. Um, and um, I would just say that um, – moving on to the next slide – that. Um, you know, if you see an opportunity to collaborate, if you're thinking about forming a startup, if you already have a company, uh, if you like to fund energy research, um, for any of those reasons, please come talk to me. Um, I would also say that students, interns, are a critical part of our work. We, every summer, we hire, you know, around 50, sometimes more interns, but this is a yearly thing, so there's the website, as well as uh, looking for new, talented people to be part of our staff here at Park. So, Again,
5: welcome. I'm Tom Peterson, and uh, my day job is I'm the provost and executive vice chancellor at uh, UC Merced. But I'm here today as co-chair, along with my colleague, Abby Rays, who's taking my picture right now, right here in the front (laughs) row, uh, of the Faculty Engagement and Education Working Group, which is a, a working group within the Global Climate uh, Leadership Council. The purpose of that group is to develop broad faculty support for and participation in UC's 2025 carbon neutrality initiative. And to advance UC's contribution uh, in climate change and sustainability education. And I wanted to talk just a little bit about some of our activities this morning. We focus on getting faculty involved. Uh, we're also the ones that uh, are trying to ensure by 2020 uh, sustainability and climate neutrality will be a key and integral part of the curriculum of every single UC student. For UC to reach the climate neutrality objective in 2025 that Rachel Nava talked about, uh, it's quite clear that system wide faculty engagement and student education are going to be absolutely key. The carbon neutrality goal necessitates fundamental and lasting changes in our behavior, in our culture, and in the systems of the university. We heard a little bit about that as well. And for these transformations to take hold, broad faculty support and participation are going to be necessary to fuel campus administrative commitment over time. And likewise, an action-oriented education for all of our UC students that provides this goal in the context of their own lives and their own areas of study will enable them to uh, undergo the behavioral and social change that's going to be required. And as our campus mitigation uh, efforts take hold, I think we all understand that each incremental change, each incremental improvement is going to cost more in many terms than the previous improvement. And maintaining the momentum that we're going to need and the support for each campus is going to be critical to enabling the what's going to be some tough budgetary and visionary leadership needed to reach this system-wide goal. And engaged faculty with a unique role in influencing academic planning and strategic planning and environmental planning will be absolutely critical to this end. And without this level of faculty support, the larger budgetary commitments that are going to need, be needed for transforming our campuses is going to be harder and harder to secure. Um, But if we do have that faculty support, then I think their creativity and their innovation and maybe even most importantly, the political willpower will become possible. So these factors are essential given the climate-driven time frame under which we need to make these uh, changes. And our working group, this uh, faculty education and engagement working group, aims to uh, maintain this critical mass of faculty through programming in both curricular design and in faculty development. So I want to talk just very briefly about what we've accomplished in the last year alone through support from the Carbon Neutrality Initiative. And uh, we make no apologies for blatantly plagiarizing ideas that have been developed uh, on the other campuses. In fact, really, that's probably one of the most important things we can do is take best practices from the many campuses in our UC system and apply them system-wide. So we extended the best practice from Santa Barbara to all ten campuses by offering a faculty climate action champion award, the fruits of which you're going to hear about in just a few moments. We also extended a best practice from UCLA, uh, which trains faculty facilitators from each campus to deliver skill sharing workshops on integrating climate and sustainability into existing courses. And it's important to emphasize here, we're not talking about building a whole bunch of brand new courses, but how you can integrate these concepts into existing courses. And as we speak, these same trainers are in the midst of rolling out workshops for, uh, for up to 20 faculty peers on each campus throughout the system uh, that will lead to the new incorporation of these key concepts and what we estimate will be over 200 courses in just the first year alone. Our team has also built an online climate and sustainability education resource library which will launch this fall and this library is by and for the UC faculty uh, to share their academic and teaching resources and hopefully this will accelerate the dissemination and uptake of this material throughout the system. And even reaching beyond the UC system, uh, next month we'll embark on a year-long effort to build a knowledge uh, knowledge action network with our faculty peers within the California State University system. And the network will hope to ask and answer the fundamental question, what would it take to accelerate California educators' abilities to offer carbon neutrality and sustainability education to all Californian students, put in a way that is culturally uh, contextualized and actionable for their own individuals.
0: You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at
1: uctv.tv.